author going with this why did john uh, sorry why did luke start this book to me about the lord jesus christ speaking about someone else right why is the greatest story ever told in history start with this person john right so let's keep that question in mind as gerald comes and reads this passage to us and then prays for a scripture reading from the book of luke chapter 1 from verse 5 to 25 i repeat from one, uh, chapter 1 verses 5 verse 5 from 5 to 25 when herod was the king of juda there was a jewish priest named zechariah he was a member of the priestly order of abijah and his wife elizabeth was also from the priestly line of aaron zechariah and elizabeth were righteous in god's eye careful to obey all the lord's commandment and regulations they had no children because elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were they were both very old one day zechariah was serving god in the temple for his order was on the duty that week as was the custom of the priests he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the lord and burn incense while the incense was being burned a great crowd stood outside praying while zechariah was in the sanctuary an angel of the lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him but the angel said do not be afraid don't be afraid zechariah uh, zechariah god has heard your prayers your wife elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him john you will have great joy and gladness many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the lord he must never touch a, he was never touch wine or another alcoholic drinks he will be filled with the holy spirit even before his birth and he will turn many israelites to the lord their god he will be men with the, he will be a man with the spirit and power of elijah he will prepare the people for the coming of the lord he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept wisdom of the godly zechariah said to the angel how can i be sure this will happen i am an old man now and my wife is also well along in years then the angel said i am gabriel i stand in the very presence of god it was he who sent me to bring you this good news but now since you didn't believe that i said you will be silent and unable to speak while until the child is born for my word will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time meanwhile the people were waiting for zechariah to come out of the sanctuary wondering why he's why he was not why he was taking so long when he finally did come out he couldn't speak to them then they realized from his gesture and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary when zechariah's week of service in the temple was over he returned home soon after his wife soon after uh, soon afterward his wife elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion of <clears throat> for 5 months how kind of the lord how kind the lord is she exclaimed he has taken away my disgrace of having no children
let's pray loving and heavenly and gracious father lord thank you for this time lord father thank you for this words lord father as we are going to hear it from uh, cherry lord holy spirit fill him and give him wisdom and knowledge to uh, guide us and speak the right words lord and for us father uh, quite in our hearts lord to understanding lord let us not be distracted by anything lord uh, open our hearts to understanding father as we walk in as we understand the word and father we are able to follow and walk father in your name i ask and pray amen thank you gerald for the reading of the word uh, i hope you got into the skin of theophilus as uh, as you were reading this passage right and trying to figure out uh, why is luke writing to me dear luke writing to me about john and about his birth before telling me about the lord jesus christ right and for us it's important to understand that uh, this was important um, luke starts off by saying that he is starting from the beginning and according to him this is where it begins it's important because the story of the birth of uh, john the baptist it connects the old testament with the new testament so the last book of the old testament malachi it ends with a promise shall we just quickly see chapter 3 of malachi and verse 1 chapter 3 malachi and verse 1 see i will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me then suddenly the lord you are seeking will come to his temple the lord you are seeking will come to his temple so there was a promise that malachi ended with that the old testament ended with that god will come into his temple so there is this expectation that godly jewish people had that god will come but there's going to be a forerunner i will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me so John the Baptist is an important bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, even Isaiah prophesies about him saying that uh, there is a voice crying out into in the wilderness, prepare ye a way for the Lord and make his path straight. And uh, John the Baptist claims that that was written about him. And we read that both in Mark and in John. So John the Baptist is an important figure which connects the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why is it important? Because these are not two different religions. It's not like the Old Testament is meant for the Jewish people and the New Testament is meant for Christians. No. It is one entire connected story. It is God's word that he has given in entirety and it's important for both the Jewish nation as well as anybody who follows the lord jesus christ to know that also john the baptist is the fulfillment of old testament prophecies and that is important the prophecies that we just read that to know that they are being fulfilled because that is an assurance that the scripture is accurate that it is true um last sunday we had a second meeting where brother ravent uh, uh spoke about uh how do we how do we know that the bible is really god's word and among many things that he shared and and you know you can reach out to him and take those notes among many things were these two things that it is fulfilling prophecies we see the bible true because the prophecies that are written in the bible are fulfilled in the uh, in the bible itself and we see that in history so here are these two things and also the fact that 
across so many years, it is one connected story, you know, between all the authors. So the Old Testament and the New Testament coming together as a beautiful single story and the prophecies being fulfilled. Also, uh, why the John, John the Baptist's birth, is, uh, it's, it was important to record, is that this is the first time in 400 years after uh, the book of Malachi, now uh, with the birth of John, it's been about 400 years and it's the first time in these 400 years that God is again speaking. There has been silence till now. So the first initiation after these 400 years of God speaking is in this incident. So that's important again. And it's miraculous. You know, uh, for, this, for, for these many years, in fact, for about 100 years before that, no supernatural uh, activity, nothing, uh, no divine intervention had happened. People had not seen God act. Of course, we uh, heard in the, in the background of Luke that God was acting in the background. He was preparing a way. But the Jewish people could not see it. For them, it was that God is silent. God is not doing anything. But here, we see the first set of miraculous acts. And it sets forth a a, a complete, uh, if I were to say, a tsunami of miracles that suddenly burst forth only in that one area of Israel, showing very clearly that God is intervening at this point in history, in that place, among those people. So the birth of John Uh, miracles start again. And then finally, John the Baptist being the forerunner was so important because the forerunner was supposed to point the Jewish people towards who the Messiah really is. So when John the Baptist sees the Lord Jesus Christ come towards the river and he says, behold, the lamb who taketh away the sins of the world, that was such an important proclamation. Because it was the fulfillment of Old Testament which said that the forerunner will point towards the Messiah. So, John the Baptist, so important for not just Theophilus, but for all of us to know about and to understand his story as the beginning of this greatest story that has been ever told in history. Now, we have, um, uh, we have perhaps a lot of people here for whom this might be new, you know, you, would, uh, you might perhaps be hearing this for the first time. And uh, we really appreciate, uh, you know, a lot of you who, who come here with a seeking heart, wanting to know who Jesus really is and what this faith is really about. And maybe one question that would be there in your minds is, is Jesus really God? Or is he just another human being that people have, you know, made up to be God? Just like, you know, a lot of other gurus in the world who are followed. Now, Luke here is actually helping you answer that question. So, a great way to answer a question like that is to start with the presumption that Jesus was human. And then to see where does the evidence really lead you. Right? So, what Luke does is, he takes a man, John the Baptist, and he takes the Lord Jesus Christ and he weaves their stories together. So what you'll see here is, first, we see the story of John, right? We see the promise of his birth. We see uh, a miraculous appearing of an angel. We see that um, um, a lady who um, could not have, in normal human understanding, have, have conceived, she conceives. 
and then the birth happens. And we see just that same thing happening parallel with the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And these stories get interwoven together. So in a sense, Luke is actually helping anyone who evaluates Jesus against another human being. He actually puts Jesus against another human being. Now here's the interesting thing. He doesn't put Jesus just against any human being. This person, the Lord Jesus Christ later on went on to say that John the Baptist was the greatest of all men. So Luke is actually upping the ante and he takes Jesus and he places him against who Jesus himself proclaimed to be the greatest of all humans. So you get to evaluate. If you are evaluating Jesus against human beings, you actually get to evaluate through this passage of Luke chapter 1. You get to evaluate Jesus against the greatest of all humans. And you get to see yourself whether Jesus was actually a human being. How does Jesus stand up against the greatest of all humans? So our prayer as you walk this journey together with us of studying uh, the book of Luke is that God would reveal to you who Jesus really is. Um, now, um, we'll get into this passage, right? The, the first section, which is verse 5 to 7, if someone can also help uh, the screen on front to be put up. Thank you. So the first section from verse 5 to 7, Luke is introducing the people who are part of God's plan. So he uh, speaks first about uh, Herod and uh, he doesn't start this passage or this story by saying once upon a time, you know, which is how fiction starts, right? But he says in the time of, and he gives the name of the king who was there, he gives the geographical location as well, right? So true to uh, Luke's claim that he has historically verified these things and he's speaking about things that he has carefully investigated. He is giving specifics and we'll see that all through uh, the gospel according to Luke. Right? Luke goes on to give details which are meant to show that these things really happened. You know, that I'm not just cooking this up. You can go and you can verify this. So once, not once upon a time, but in the time of Herod, king of Judea, and, and then from Herod, who is a king, he goes on to speak about a very ordinary person. He goes on to speak about a certain priest named Zechariah. So from the king to the humblest of men. So just, to, just for us to know, uh, there were about 18,000 priests in Israel at that time. Right? People from the line of Aaron who served as priests in Israel. And they were divided into 24 orders. This happened during David's reign. Uh, we see that in First Chronicles chapter 24. And it's recorded here that Zechariah was part of the division of, uh, of Abijah. Right? Now, each of these divisions, these 24 divisions, 18,000 people, Zechariah being just one of 18,000 people, right? Sometimes we feel lost in, in 250 people, right? Now, this is Zechariah in, uh, in the midst of 18,000 people. And um, each division would get opportunity two weeks in a year to go and serve in the temple. So, so this is that opportunity that Zechariah is getting, one of the two weeks in the year when he gets to go and serve in the temple, when he gets to actually sacrifice and teach scripture there. Otherwise, the rest of the year, 
they are just living like an ordinary couple in their town or village serving the people there and uh, you know interpreting scripture for them teaching them counseling them and it speaks about his wife also who who also was from an priestly uh, family so so you know this whole family is a priestly family but it's an ordinary couple and that tells us not just here in luke again another uh, recurring theme that you will see not just here in this passage but across luke is god using very ordinary people right god using very small beginnings very indiscreet you know uh, things that that i mean there is no fanfare and he uses very ordinary people very ordinary means small beginnings to do uh, his work and it's it's not unusual this is not the only place if you see all through the old testament as well we see god using uh, shepherds farmers fishermen just very uh, normal people and god intentionally again you know as we read through the story of the lord jesus christ god is be- being very intentional and clear in this that he is a god of common men unlike cultures which tell us that you need to have a certain access towards god you need to have a certain social standing to be able to get to uh, god or to be able to access him directly god is reaching out to the common man right he is using common people in fact the bible says that he uses the foolish he's chosen the foolish to shame the wise and he shows his strength in human weakness and his glory it actually gets displayed in the midst of our human weakness and and that's how luke begins the story you know the most extraordinary story it starts with this very simple description of this couple zechariah and elizabeth they were ordinary but just look at verse 6 both of them were righteous in the sight of god they were righteous they were upright in the sight of god observing god's commandments living blamelessly righteous now for us who believe in the lord jesus christ we know that we are made righteous through him and through his sacrifice on the cross and we've been speaking about that singing about that thanking god for that over the last hour how do people in the old testament people before the lord jesus christ how are they righteous how does god see them as righteous and we get the answer to that in hebrews chapter 11 where there's a list of people whom god is declaring righteous and god says uh, the right of hebrew says that there are many more that this is just a sample of the list he says that there are many more and he starts by saying that hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see and this is what the ancients were commended for so the so the people in the past in the old testament including everyone from the beginning from abraham moses and right up to even zechariah they are being commended for this faith which is for something which is not seen and as we go forward we see that uh, this is a faith which is looking forward towards the messiah towards christ uh, for example it says about moses in verse 26 he regarded disgrace for the sake of christ so moses in the old testament is also looking forward to the messiah looking forward to christ it says he regarded disgrace for the sake of christ as of greater value 
And as we read through the rest of the people, we realize that these are all Old Testament saints who are looking forward to that greater sacrifice which God himself will come and provide to the Messiah. So here's, here's, a, here's an ordinary couple, but a godly couple. And it's interesting that Luke um, uh, mentions that they were righteous in the sight of God. Uh, Luke again contrasts up ahead many times the righteousness which is in the sight of men versus righteousness which is in the sight of God. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he, was, he was very very sharp when he spoke to Pharisees and he called them hypocrites. He said that you are like painted graves. You know, inside you have the stench of death but whitewashed on the outside, dirty on the inside and uh, a, a pretense of holiness on the outside. But for this couple, when God sees them, he declares them righteous and he says that they were righteous in the sight of God. Something for you and I to really think about. When, when God who searches the hearts, when God the person who is not interested in the things on the outside, when he looks at your and my life, what does he find? What will he declare about you and I? Ordinary people, nothing much in society, one of another 18,000 priests, but in the sight of God, they were very precious and they were very righteous and therefore God chooses them uh, to do something which is, uh, which is one of the greatest events in history. Now, it's also possible that not only were they ordinary in the sight of men, but perhaps people also saw them as not righteous. Right? Why was that? Because in verse 7, when we read about Elizabeth being barren, and later on, Elizabeth says that uh, in verse 25, that God has taken my disgrace away, which means that in the Jewish society, there was disgrace associated with being barren or being childless. Now, that was something that, that, that that's not what God had said. God had said that children are a blessing. The opposite is not what God had said, which is not having children is a curse. It's, it's not what God had said. But that's how the culture there, and sadly in many places even today, uh, you know, starts treating people. But, you know, Luke is so particular to say that they were righteous in the sight of God. You know, to remove any doubt that this barrenness had anything to do with, uh, with God punishing them. In fact, quite the opposite. God had planned something great. This barrenness was towards something absolutely great because this couple who, who were praying and waiting for a child, now the child who actually comes into their family is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Right. So something which is beyond their absolute imagination, something which they would not have expected at all to happen. The Messiah that they were praying for and they knew that that Messiah would have a forerunner because that's what we read in Malachi and godly Jewish people would have read that. That forerunner is the son that God is giving into their family. So Zechariah who was on division only twice a year, we read in verse 8 onwards, he's chosen by Lot to be the priest who will offer in incense. Now, this is a very significant moment for Zechariah. Luke, again, you know, in a very understated way, just says that, you know, he was chosen by Lord. But for Zechariah, this is once in a lifetime. He will never ever get this opportunity again, right? So, so this is the time when he gets to go into the holy place, which is one step and one veil away from the holiest of holies. Now, that one veil ahead 
is what only the chief priest gets to go once a year. And Zechariah is getting this opportunity to come as close as he will ever in his life or as any Jew. Uh, in fact, any Jew would not even get to go there, but the priest would at least get to go to this place. And, and this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. So it's a very momentous uh, time for Zechariah. And that's where he's entering. What he's supposed to do is take the coals from the brazen altar, take them into this holy place, and he puts it on that incense, um, uh, into the altar of incense, and then pours the incense on top. And from there, then the, the incense smoke will come and fill up the entire place, symbolizing the prayers of the nation. And at that same time, as we read, people are actually, the congregation is actually standing outside and they are praying. So, so there is a symbolic uh, event happening inside the Holy of Holies where Zechariah is alone in the presence of God and outside there is uh, the congregation which is praying. So very uh, momentous occasion for Zechariah. Um, but what happens next? You know, we, we just need to remember before we move to the next portion, which is verse 11 onwards, that for 400 years there has been silence. God has not spoken it's been 500 years since an angel visited, right? And the last appearance was in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel with Daniel's friends. It's been 800 years since a whole lot of miracles have been seen together, right? And that happened during the time of Elijah and Elisha. So for the people of Israel, including Zechariah, God in their understanding hasn't acted, Right? In their understanding, God hasn't acted. God definitely hasn't spoken to them directly. And he hasn't sent an angel in centuries. There has been no divine intervention that they have seen visibly in about 800 years. Heaven has been silent, but no more. So we see in verse 11, again, very understated, right? What, what I'm saying is the context of something which is such a significant event. But how does Luke record it? Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So, so what is actually happening to Zechariah is something that has not happened for the last 500 years, you know. And Zechariah would, would, could have never imagined that he'll be the person to break that chain, right? That he'll be the person to actually encounter, uh, uh, you know, something that God is doing. So, yeah, so I've titled this a paranormal encounter. I was going for peace. Uh, but if you prefer supernatural or divine, you can, you can uh, you know, stick with that. So, uh, so, so the angel of the Lord appeared and this might be a time when Zechariah was just about to leave because the activity that he's supposed to do in that place should not take too much of time. He's just supposed to go in, uh, put the coals, pour the incense, pray and come out. But we see that you know, he, he sees an angel and, and it's real you know, because it's mentioned there that he was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. You know, those little details that Luke adds to, to just verify that, you know, these are things that have happened historically, you know, that this is not a vision, that it's something that's actually happened. And then not only did the angel appear, but in verse 13, we read that the angel spoke as well, right? So it's been a long gap. And then finally, God is speaking through his, uh, through his angelic being. And, and this is, you know, the time from where, you know, this miraculous appearing of the angel is the time from where we will see all through the story of 
both John and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, miracles coming which reaffirm that God is breaking through history. He's reaching out, he's intervening in history in a very, very specific and in a very momentous way. So, so this is the launch pad, you know, this is the launch pad of, of this greatest uh, story of, of God uh, intervening. And what's the reaction of Zechariah? It, you know, interestingly, this is the reaction that almost anybody had when they saw angels. Uh, uh, you know, what we read in the past. So, so it's, it's strange when people today speak about encountering angels, you know, and, and they speak about it very casually because that's not what really happened, at least, you know, with people who actually met angels. So when Zechariah saw him, verse, verse 12, he was startled and was gripped with fear, right? So like I said, it was the same reaction that Gideon had, that Samson's father Manoah had, that, um, uh, that Mary had, um, uh, you know, Isaiah, when he was in the presence of God, had that same reaction. Daniel had that same reaction. Uh, Peter, James, John, when they were in the presence of, uh, of, of God, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was being, as he revealed, unveiled his glory, you know, that's the reaction that they had. And in fact, even Apostle John in the island of Patmos had that same reaction, fell down as though dead. So John is, John is terrified when he sees what he realizes is divine presence in that place and he's alone. Now, um, we, we go on to verse 13 and, uh, and that's the next section, right, where the angel is speaking. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, how the angel starts, you know, it's, it's not good day, it's not uh, good morning, you know, how are you? It is do not be afraid. I think uh, for angels, you know, that had become the standard greeting because they knew that uh, every time that, you know, they interact with a human being, uh, the first thing that they got to say is, do not be afraid, you know, because of how uh, humans, uh, you know, uh, react when, when they see them, right? So, so angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, you know, so, so be- it would have been so like a mixed emotion for Zechariah. Just imagine, you know, standing there in that place alone. Uh, you know, this, this. You know, he sees the angel, and and he is both terrified and the angel. When he speaks, he takes his name. Uh, you know, so Zechariah is going through all of these emotions at that time, and the angel says, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah." And then he goes on to say another beautiful thing: "Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard." Right. This couple would have prayed years for a child, you know, and maybe even ceased praying when they realized that now it's past time. You know, humanly speaking, it's no longer possible. And they might have even ceased praying, right? Because it says that they were old, so they would easily been in their 70s or 80s. But this angel is here proclaiming, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, will bear you a son, you know, a, a, a promise of a miracle, you know, the first miracle in the you know, over the last 500 years. Again, you know, it's understated. Uh, like I said, you know, the import of that is so important. Yet, uh, all that it says is that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You know, what is supernatural for us uh, is is very very normal for God. And He says, "You are to give him the name John." Right? It's a, it's a beautiful name, right? Brother John? So, and and we have a few Johns here. Uh, My third name is John. It's a beautiful name. It means God is gracious. God is gracious. Jehovah is gracious. Now see that, even the meaning of that name is significant because the last word in the last book, the last time that God spoke was 
Can you see the last word of Malachi? In most translations, it will be curse. You know, that's how that ended. That if you don't follow me, then you will be cursed. That's, that's the, the, those are the last words that God had spoken. And now here, among the first words that God is speaking is proclaiming that Jehovah is gracious. Yeah. Just reaffirming the fact to the nation of Israel through Zechariah and through this person, John the Baptist, that God is going to show his favor. That God is going to intervene and explode upon the world with his grace. And, um, and, and it's so important because uh, later on, and um, when, when the child needs to be named, uh, you know, they, uh, they are talking and, and they are saying that let's name him after his father. But he goes on to say, in fact, he wasn't able to say, so he writes it down that he will be called John, right? And, and then the angel goes on to mention six aspects about John the Baptist or this child to be born's character. Beautiful six things. In fact, we'll be having a baby dedication uh, today, later. And, uh, uh, you know, these are beautiful things for parents to pray about for their children as well. So, so here's the first. He says, he will be a joy and delight to you and many. And many will rejoice, right? A joy and delight to the parents and to many others. Now, this word joy is something that Luke used frequently and he used it in the context of salvation. And we see uh, in the parables that Jesus is speaking and in many other instances speaking about the joy that comes when lost is found. Joy of salvation. And, and that's something that, um, that, Apostle, uh, sorry, that John the Baptist also brought forth. He brought forth that joy uh, into the people of Israel. And then he says in the next one that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Great in the sight of the Lord. Again, greatness not by human definition. In fact, by human definition, John the Baptist was not great at all, right? His, his clothing was, uh, was, was, was nothing to talk about, not Instagrammable. Uh, his, uh, his food also, again, not Instagrammable, uh, you know, nothing to share. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, his overall, uh, or maybe even the places, I'm just thinking of, you know, what are the things that uh, usually are posted, right? So it's food, it's, it's clothing, and it's uh, places that we go to. Uh, he was in a, in a uh, desert, right? So nothing much to, again, uh, post about, right? So uh, in the sight of humans, John perhaps would not have been great. At least the ones who did not understand him, for them, he would have been you know, an odd guy, you know, somebody who is not great, but greatness in the sight of the Lord. You know, what a beautiful promise and proclamation about this person who is to come. And like I said, in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 10, Jesus says about him, the greatest of all men, right? The greatest of all men. And then he says about his, his food, he's never to take wine or any fermented drink, right? Which was similar to a, a part of a Nazarite vow, right? Um, and, and we know that uh, John the Baptist also uh, wore and acted and ate like Elijah the prophet. And then the fourth thing that is written about him is that this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So, so beautiful promise about divine presence being with this child even before birth from the 
mother's womb and we know how uh, the baby in, in Mary's uh, womb leapt when Mary went to uh, meet Elizabeth, right? Uh, also, maybe just a side point, uh, although there are a lot of other things that, uh, that we can study about this topic, but uh, this also speaks about life being in the womb, right? And being a person, right? So it says that because, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit cannot be uh, with an inanimate uh, uh, thing, right? So, so it is a living being in the womb that is speaking about. Uh, now, the fifth thing that he promises about this person, about his character is that he will bring many people uh, of Israel back to God. Many people of Israel back to God. So crowds of Israelites, we see later, did turn to the Lord Jesus uh, because of John's ministry, because of how he prepared the way. And then finally he says, he will go Verse 17, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and ends by saying to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the forerunner, you know, is proclaimed and declared here in this passage that he will go before the Lord and he will make ready uh, the way for the Lord. You know, again, like I said, fulfillment to the prophecies in Malachi as well as in Isaiah. What a beautiful uh, set of things for uh, for any parent to get to know, any godly parent to get to know about their child who is to come, right? And maybe also things that uh, you and I can pray for our children, right? What greater privilege than to have kids who who will eventually be pointing people towards God? So the bottom line is that um, he gets this promise that this son that they were going to have is going to be extraordinary right he's going to be uh, the he's going to have that privilege which no one else in history will have which is to be the forerunner uh, and to be the person identifying the messiah and um, and and you know before we move to the next uh, uh, segment i just want to also tell us that this is a privilege which even you and i have so John had this, had this great privilege among humans in that point in history to point people towards who the Messiah is. But this is a privilege which you and I also have today to point people through our lives, through our words, to point people towards the Messiah, towards the Savior, towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, Zechariah is not able to believe this, right? So we, from verse 18 onwards, we see that he reacts in disbelief. He doesn't react with a thank you, but he says that, how will this happen, right? Uh, I am old, my wife is old, uh, although he, he uses, uh, um, uh, you know, better words for it. He says, my wife is well along in years, but, but that's, that's really what he's trying to say, right? Both of us are old, uh, how will this happen? Um, and, you know, it, it reminds us of, and this was a godly couple who were praying, uh, but yet, when God actually said that is going to happen, found it hard to believe. You know, it, it reminds us of the incident uh, where, uh, in Acts, where uh, the congregation is praying for Peter's release. And when Peter actually comes, they say that, no, it will be someone else, right? It can't be Peter. Um, and, and uh, you know, I was also reminded of, uh, it, it, you might have heard this illustration many times. It's a, it's a preacher's favorite about uh, uh, the, the only person who went to a prayer meeting 
uh, asking for rain. So there was a prayer meeting, you know, praying for rain. And the only person who went there with an umbrella was an old lady, right? Everybody else uh, went there to pray, not expecting uh, any rain. So, so you know, this, this whole thing of praying, but not really believing that God can do it. So, um, and, and for God, that was very, very serious, right? So here's a godly man uh, who's been praying and who's, Prayer God has answered, but he doesn't believe the word of God. And for God, that's very serious. So, so the angel there replies and says, I am Gabriel. And, you know, and there's, a, there's a strength to that, uh, uh, to that declaration, you know, to that introduction. It's like, I'm not just any other person who is coming and telling you these things. I'm Gabriel. Now, as soon as he would have said, I'm Gabriel, because there would have been no other way for John to know, uh, you know, who is this angel who is speaking to me? it would have instantly triggered something in his mind because here was a person about whom it was written in the book of Daniel. You know, so two other times in the past, uh, the, the name of Gabriel was mentioned and it was when uh, God had to tell Daniel this, this you know, uh, beautiful prophecy about uh, history and about how he's going to uh, unveil the plan of redemption. And, and so when uh, when Gabriel introduces himself instantly, uh, John would have uh, remembered that. And uh, so, sorry, Zechariah would have remembered that. And, uh, and he says that I have come to bring you good news and I've come from the very presence of God. So I'm not just coming here. I'm not just any other person. I'm not just coming here, uh, you know, saying something of my own will, but I have come from God and I've come to give you good news. You know, I've not come to judge you. Uh, so, so the fear that would have been there that God has appeared, you know, and there's this terrifying sight and, and he would have felt that uh, it's something that, you know, God is going to judge him uh, or, or, you know, he's going to get punished. Uh, Gabriel says that no, you know, and these words he's, he uses there, it is good news, you know, gospel. That's, that's from, uh, that's the word that uh, Luke, in fact, uses many times in his uh, uh, in his book, you know, he uses this word many times, gospel, good news, the good news that God is coming in grace to offer salvation, to offer a way. And, and that beautiful story is, is what uh, is captured in that word, gospel. And then he says that, however, because you did not believe in my words in verse 20, you know, uh, this will anyways happen. You know, what I have said, he says, will happen. You know, whether you believe it or not, whether, uh, uh, you know, humans are going to believe it or not, what God has said will come to pass at its proper time. You know, that just reinforces God's sovereignty and that he will fulfill his plan. For us, what that means is that uh, whether we are going to be partakers of or part of God's plan or not. God is going to fulfill his plan. But what we might miss out if we have lack of faith is being part of that plan. In fact, one of the things that Zechariah misses out on is being able to go and tell people of what God had done, right? Because the punishment that he gets is that he cannot speak. So God has done this amazing thing for him and he's not able to go and tell others about it, right? So, however, that punishment was also a sign because for the next nine months, every time that Zechariah would have tried to speak and words would not have come out, he would have remembered what had happened in the temple on that day. 
right? And it would have been a validation for him, it would have been a proof for him that if what Gabriel said about me losing my voice is true, then everything else that he has said will also be true. So it was both a punishment for Zechariah, but it was also a sign and a promise to him. And we see finally, you know, that this promise is fulfilled. Um, It reads from verse um, uh, 23 onwards, right? So he completed that one week of service and he would have gone back and, and you can just imagine what, you know, the, uh, the, the, the conversation or the situation at home would have been like, you know, uh, one of the spouses after a week long trip is going home and is not able to say anything about what happened during that week, right? Um, but, you know, we, we can imagine that John would have, uh, sorry, Zechariah would have written down things and given to Elizabeth because Elizabeth later on says that uh, uh, this is the name that we have to give to the child, right? So, so Elizabeth would have known uh, what had happened, you know, because in some way, uh, Zechariah would have communicated that to her. Um, and, and that's what we see here. You know, we see a fulfillment of the promise that God had uh, made to them through Zechariah, right? She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Um, now, um, you know, the next time, uh, in the next sermon, we will see, like I said, a parallel passage about the announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and these two stories go together in parallel. And may the Lord help us uh, to take learnings from here and to, you know, keep that in mind as we, uh, as we go through the rest of uh, the first chapter of Luke. A uh, couple of things that... You know, I just, uh, uh, that we spoke about, I'll just reiterate it. So the first thing that we saw is God breaking through silence, right? Now, for each of these learnings, for each of these uh, uh, interpretations, there are also applications that we can take into our lives, right? A lot of times, we also find God being silent. We feel that, you know, God is not answering us. We are asking, you know, we are praying, but we are not getting a reply. It seems as if God... Uh, is not hearing us, right? Or God is not giving a clear answer. We see that God is breaking through silence and he's making himself known, right? So, uh, so that should be an encouragement for us to continue praying and waiting for God's time for him to answer. We also see that he's a God of small beginnings. You know, he uses ordinary people. He does extraordinary things, but he uses very, very ordinary people. Again, you know, when a lot of times we feel that we don't have it in us, you know, how will I do this? How will I do that? Uh, it's, a, it's a reassurance as we read through the gospel. It's a reassurance that God uses very ordinary people to do uh, his work. But he uses righteous people, righteous vessels, right? So it's so important that from our side, as ordinary as we may be, we got to stay right in the sight of God, right? Not just in the sight of men, but right in the sight of God for the Lord to be able to use us. And he is a prayer answering God. A lot of times it will seem that uh, it's taking too long, but he is a prayer answering God. At the same time, he also does punish lack of faith, right? If we don't take him at his word, uh, uh, there are consequences to that. So, so may the Lord help us to really be people who take God at his word and act accordingly. And then finally, greatness in the sight of the Lord is pointing towards his son. 
There, is, there are a lot of things that you know, the world shows us as being greatness. But greatness in the sight of God, if that is something that you and I pursue for, if that is something that we want our children to pursue for, then what is that? Our prayer should be that God make me a person who points people towards you. Shall we close in prayer? And, and our prayer is that in the cell groups also, God would help uh, all of us to have uh, fruitful conversations and discussions and really make these applications uh, things that we are able to practice in our day-to-day lives. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for uh, this beautiful uh, historical record, Lord, that you have given to us of the things that happened from the beginning and given to us in an orderly way, Lord, that we would know what is your mind, what is your will, that we would know what you want us to know about Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you, Lord, that it starts with the story of John the Baptist. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for this, uh, uh, Lord, Lord, for showing us about how you uh, intervene in history, O Lord. Uh, Lord, and we we pray, O Lord, that as we uh, we read through this, as we meditate on this, as we discuss this, O Lord, that, uh, uh, Lord, that we would be able to see what you are teaching us, O Lord, and that we would be able to apply that in our lives, O oh Lord, and and uh, Lord, what a what a beautiful role model uh, John the Baptist is, Lord, uh, somebody that you proclaim to be the greatest of all men. May we learn from him and from his life, even as we go on to see the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as as the contrast of God who became human and lived among us. We thank you and we praise you. We commit the rest of the time into your hands. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.